Alex in Brixton, Charlotte in the afternoon, <laughs> Becky. Uh, and I'm currently Schrodinger's mama, Amy. <laughs> and this is, and then what? The, the podcast, podcast all about stories. stories. And this is, if this is your first time coming back to And Then What, or first time ever listening to And Then What, welcome, welcome. Come in. Come join us. We, Becky has water, I have squash because it's really fucking hot today. It's so warm. It feels like this is, you described it as like the last hurrah of the summer. Yes, this is, we're recording on August 25th. Yes. And, uh. This is warm. It's hot. (laughs) Um, but we've, uh, we've not, you know, been inactive today. We've been quite busy actually. Yes, so it'll be two weeks since you last heard us. Yes. But it's been less than 12 hours (laughs) since we last recorded. (laughs) Yeah, it's been about 16 hours, I think, since we last recorded. <laughs> yeah. um, what did we do? We watched quite a lot of The Year of the Rabbit. Such a good show. We sent Gary out for drive through McDonald's. And he really delivered. It was great. Literally. <laughs> uh, and then this morning we woke up and, with my parents' help, took apart a sofa. I say with my parents' help, like it was mainly me and you. It, I did fuck all. I'm too <laughs> pregnant with that shit. Uh, no, you helped a lot, like, where you could and stuff. We didn't let you anywhere near, like, the sledgehammer. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sad because I really wanted the sledgehammer. It was really cool. It's a great video, which we'll put on our Instagram of Becky wielding the sledgehammer, <laughs> like Thor. <laughs> um, but, like, Thor playing golf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, no, it was, that was an ugly sofa, but incredibly well made. Yeah. So, like, there was incentive to get rid of it, but, man, that was that was It was mission. hard. Yeah. But we did it. I'm really we, proud of us. Me too. <laughs> Team Jones. <laughs> um... And then we went to the book farm and had, which is a very lovely place in Astley. Yeah. Um, it's like an old converted farm, and it's now just sells secondhand books. Just tons of books, thousands and of them. We picked up a couple on the way. So I picked up. It's, well, it's actually underneath the microphone. One of them. It's a crime book called "Death in August: The First Inspector Bordelli Mystery," which uh, seems like a short, fun bit of crim. And then Gary pointed this out in the erotica section. <laughs> uh, Playboy, Book of Party Jokes, 1966. And it's just tons of uh, dirty jokes and naughty drawings. So I thought I might read out a couple. <laughs> Would you like to hear one? Yeah, go on. Okay, right. Um, so everyone in the smart nightclub was amazed by the old gentleman, obviously pushing 70, tossing off Manhattans and cavorting around the dance floor like a 20-year-old. Uh, finally, Curiosity got the best of the cigarette girl. I beg your pardon, sir, she said, but I'm amazed to see a gentleman of your age living it up like a youngster. Tell me, are all of your faculties unimpaired? And the old fellow looked up at the girl sadly and shook his head. Not all, I'm afraid, he said. Just last evening, I went nightclubbing with a girlfriend. We drank and danced all night and finally rolled into her place about 2am. We went to bed immediately and I was asleep almost as soon as my head hit the pillow. I awoke around 3.30 and nudged my girl. Why, George, she said in surprise. We did that just 15 minutes ago. So you see, the old boy said sadly, my memory is beginning to fail me. These <laughs> <laughs> are good. I mean, some of, I've hopefully flicked through and all of them are obviously like, quite misogynistic. Of but, course. But yeah, it's a good little bit of an old-time Americana. Saucy Americana from back in the day. <laughs> um, how are you feeling, Amy? Are you okay? Uh, right now, look, I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, right now is in like when you're listening to this. Yeah. I have no idea how I'm feeling. I'm, cause, so this will go out, I think, on August, uh, September the, 20, the 15th. Yeah. And I will either now have had the baby mm. or be a week overdue yeah. and really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully there's going to be a baby here by the time people are listening to this. Hopefully. Hopefully we'll be posting a nice picture of a squishy little angry person very and, and a baby <laughs> <laughs> fuck you um yeah hopefully yeah weird Aww. but nice yeah. maybe i don't know i might hate being a mum we don't know 
I knew one way to find out. Yeah. <laughs> going ahead anyway. Can't really do much about it at this point. He is big. Um, how are you feeling? I'm right. I'm excited for you. I've had such a nice weekend here as well. I'm glad. Because I basically invited you up and then was like, oh, come to a family meal with my brothers and my parents and help me take apart a sofa. <laughs> and also, I'm not going to do anything with you because I'm too pregnant. So we're just going to watch telly in the downtime. But to be honest, like we were saying earlier, we've sort of reached that point in our friendship where it's just, it's reached that tier where like, this is fun for us. Yeah, like, we don't have to do stuff. We no, just It's family level. It's just, you know, it's like, this is what you do with your family on a bank holiday. <laughs> we could go to a coffee shop and like, both sit on our phones for an hour and not talk to each other and it would be completely fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this is a podcast about stories. Yes. What stories you got? Uh, well, I've got two stories. So one, it's kind of about how data tells a story. Okay. Um, so I've got like two examples of interesting yep. data. And then one about a genuinely sexy criminal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I have a Twitter thread about being a Christina Aguilera tribute act. Amazing. Which I was desperately hoping you wouldn't find and <laughs> I don't, don't seem I to have. have. No. Uh, I've had this saved for about two months because we haven't <laughs> recorded in so long. <laughs> And then I have um, a wonderful Today I Fucked Up from Reddit. Possibly one of my favourites and one of the wildest Today I Fucked Ups I've ever heard. Yay! Exciting. Well, I think... Cause did I go first last time? Yeah. I did. No. So, yeah. Um, I went first. Yes, you did. So should I go first? Yes. Okay, right. What would you like to hear first? About interesting, beautiful data or a genuinely sexy criminal? Data. Data. Right, okay. So... Uh, data is cool. Okay. <laughs> Uh, next story. <laughs> Basically, um, I always love seeing data presented in really interesting ways that tells a, a story. So there's one example here from Information is Beautiful, the website. And I love them. Called, uh, yeah, so good. And this particular graph is called uh, Live Long. And I think it's been made by David McCandless. And it's come from lots of people. Oh, God, that's a lot. that's a lot it's a lot okay but basically it's like what really extends a person's lifespan okay and this is really interesting graph so I'm just going to show you a little like flash there so you see everything pointing towards the right hand side is stuff that extends your life everything pointing towards the left is stuff that is supposedly shortens your life so things like um, if you sleep too much that shortens your life by like a year or so if you're optimistic or you get promoted that extends your life by a year or so if you live in a city shorter life and there's a whole bunch of stuff that extends your life by, you know, anywhere between one to like 15 years. So like living in the country, eating less food, having a long lived maternal grandfather, hanging out with lots of women. It's weird. <laughs> Drinking a little, especially if you're a man, if you hang out with a lot of women in your formative years, you're more likely to live longer. Um, which, yeah, I could, <laughs> that's probably a good idea. Um, be polygamous, maybe, it says. And it's like men with more than one wife live 12% longer. <laughs> And it goes on and on and on. So, and obviously, like, there are like really obvious things like avoid cancer. It's like yeah. sure, um, avoid heart disease. Um, being an alcoholic uh, decreases your lifespan by about ten years. Um, getting married extends. Being rich extends. Being a woman extends your life. Um, continuing to smoke, quitting smoking extends. And then they has the ultimate recipe for a long, long life. Okay, hit me. Married. Yep. Happy go lucky. Outdoors, loving, sex mad, hippie party girl, in senior management, with a cat. That can extend your life nice. by about 20 years. So I'm looking at that and I'm like, give or take one or two. I need to sort out my pension. Because <laughs> 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 there's a lot going on there. I'd say that more or less describes... Both of us. Both of us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 
this podcast is going to be going on for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was like a really cool use of like how to tell a story with data. And there's one that really struck me because the, the weekend that we're recording this is the weekend of the Notting Hill Carnival, uh-huh. which your lovely husband, Gary, doesn't have to do because yeah. he no longer works by My it. husband used to work in the Met uh, yeah. before we moved up here and he'd have to do Notting Hill Carnival every year and he hated it. Yeah, absolute nightmare. But um, so there was a really interesting like exclusive story that went out in the HuffPost. And it's about like an investigation into the policing of UK festivals. And it has revealed that arrest rates at Notting Hill Carnival, which is sort of notorious. I was talking to um, a guy I'm seeing about this like a couple of days ago, just saying like, oh, interested in going to Notting Hill Carnival. But you always hear every year that it's really dangerous and there's loads of crime and da da da. So interestingly, um, so arrest rates at Notting Hill Carnival are almost identical to Glastonbury suggesting that controversial crime narratives around the London event are misplaced. So like, you get more than a million people will take to the streets to, of West London this weekend, or when you're listening, a couple of weekends ago, for like this massive celebration. Uh, but Notting Hill organisers have long claimed that the focus on crime by the media and police unduly taints what should be a gem in the country's cultural calendar. So every year, the Met Police issues figures showing the number of arrests, stabbings, offensive weapons seized, and officers injured at the carnival. But it's the only festival... Um, According to the the executive director of the Notting Hill Carnival, the the um, the police automatically put out crime stats like uh-huh. anything else, any other event. Press have to ask for it specifically, and so if I have a look down here, um, so arrest rates at Notting Hill Carnival over the three years since 2016 are almost identical to Glastonbury when the number of people is taken into account. So you're looking more like arrest rate rather than the actual number of people. So there's a 3.76 arrests per 10,000 people at Notting Hill Carnival, 3.1 at uh, Glastonbury. And the event by far with the highest arrest rate was Creamfields with 23.67. <laughs> so it's like an extra 20 people. What is Creamfields? It's like a big dance festival, I want to say, in the north of England. It's okay. like lots of gurning, <laughs> I imagine. Okay. Lots of those stupid hats. Um, if you have a look, I can post this graph later as well. So they included Ascot in there as well. Like you get arrests at Ascot as well. Yeah. But like Creamfields is, is like at least three or four times the amount of... Uh, not too carnival. That's probably somebody's probably listening to that, and being like, mathematically, Becky, that's not right. Well, I failed GCSE maths four times, <laughs> so maybe five. Who knows? Um, so you can't count. You certainly do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, commentators say that the findings highlight how festivals tend to find working class or black and minority ethnic audiences are seen as black spaces are more likely to be over policed. So Dr. Martin Glynn, who's a lecturer in criminology at Birmingham City University, says uh, black people in a range of social situations are exposed to what's called stereotype threat. Stereotype threat is if you perceive your difference to be stereotyped, you moderate it. The relevance of it is we're talking about black and white spaces. Carnival is perceived as black space, whereas like Glastonbury, Ascot, Creamfields are perceived as white space. Uh, then they look at specific types of crime. So one type of serious violence also continues to dominate the narrative around Notting Hill, which is knife crime. Mm-hmm. So the number of stabbings at Carnival has featured heavily in media coverage in recent years, echoing wider concern about rising knife crime in the capital. And it does seem like whenever... It's, it's such a prominent talking point in the news at the moment, and then when it comes to Carnival time, like, it really kicks up again. And obviously we saw those ludicrous chicken boxes mm-hmm. <laughs> a week or so ago. Um, Yet similar, similar scrutiny does not surround other festivals, even though the HuffPost data shows that they are also impacted by knife crime. So at Creamfields Festival, there are 13 arrests for possession of offensive weapon or bladed article. At Reading, there are three arrests for the possession of an offensive weapon or one wounding with intent. At Glastonbury, there is an arrest for possession of knife or blade, knife blade or sharp pointed article and one for possession of a, an offensive weapon. And while these figures are lower than the 15... So this is quite interesting, actually. So in 2016 at Carnival... 15 stabbings were recorded. 
Then the following year, that went down from 15 to 7. And then last year, it was 1. So there's definitely like a significant decrease in the knife crime. But um, what is talked about... Uh, so you know those like security kind of arches, the things you have to walk through and they go da-da-da-da if mm-hmm. you've got anything on you. So like at airports or at Creamfields or at Ascot or anywhere, they're just called security arches. And Notting Hill Carnival, they're specifically referred to as knife arches. Uh, knife arches, I hate the term, Matthew Phillips says. So he's one of the organisers at Notting Hill. Um, now these arches are at airports. Millions of people go through them every day. There are events at Royal Albert Hall and they're called screening arches. And there are a lot of major events and festivals where it's called security arches. But only when it comes to Notting Hill are they referred to as knife arches. It's one thing I can't get my head around. But it comes from the police and we've corrected them and they've stopped using those terms. That's good. And then the article goes on for quite a while. They've clearly gone into a lot of research into the data. But I just find it really, really interesting how something as simple as just take... Well, it's all kind of subjective, really. Like, the data is more or less objective but it's just depending on who then gets hold of it and then crafts a narrative around it next get to make gets to make it completely subjective and i just i find data really really interesting data is interesting data is beautiful but yeah so that was just be safe kids <laughs> <laughs> i've never actually been to Nottingham carnival but no. part of it because i'm a little bit i've been put off a little bit by like media coverage and the kind of the narrative around it being like oh you know maybe i'll get hurt or it'll be really dangerous but even though but Similarly, I went to the St. Paul's Carnival in Bristol. Like It's the first weekend of July every year. It's basically like Notting Hill Carnival light, from mm-hmm. what I understand. And probably similar like crime rates going on and everything. And it's also deemed a black space. Always had an amazing time. Never had you know any problems or anything. But for some reason, like the, I guess the narrative around Notting Hill is a, you know, a lot more intense and a lot more politicised, I guess, in the media as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I have... Next year. I'll go next year. I don't know, I think just because... The idea of any kind of carnival sounds terrific to me. Um, but I'm a boring person. And now it's your turn. Well, yeah. Data is beautiful. Uh-huh. And going from a carnival okay. to a Christina Aguilera trivia act. Amazing. Okay. So, <laughs> segue. Seamless, seamless segue. Seamless. <laughs> this is from a lady who uh, is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She, uh, Her name is Suze UK. S-O-O-Z-U-K. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently she's an award-winning stand-up slash singer slash writer host of uh, Mystery on the Rocks and hasn't missed an episode of EastEnders since 1994 that's quite impressive that's good (laughs) (laughs) she's got like 24,000 followers cool and judging by this thread I can see why okay (laughs) so first tweet 12 years ago Mm. I was in Ionapa being a Christina Aguilera tribute act for a company that turned out to be a money laundering operation with the Cypriot Mafia. Oh my god. Anyway, one day, I couldn't afford to eat. I just ate a full jar of Nutella I'd bought the week before. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. This job was insane. I was meant to be there for six months and came home after three. When I started the job, there were about 40 tribute acts, and by the time I left, they were down to single figures. The company owners used to pick us up for gigs in a minibus and drop us one by one at our venues, which could be anything from a luxury five-star hotel to an Only Fools and Horses theme bar called Trotters mm. that played DVDs of Only Fools and Horses on screens behind me while <laughs> I sang. <laughs> the Elvis tribute sort of sounded like Elvis, but only for half an octave. So if a song went higher than he could, which it always did because Real Elvis is amazing, <laughs> he would just change the key so it was still in his <laughs> register, even though the backing track didn't change. Brilliant. The Michael Jackson tribute was a 21-year-old ginger Welsh guy who would white up for the show, and part of his between-songs patter was asking the audience if he could babysit their kids. Oh, my God. His big finale was Westlife's, Westlife's You Raise Me Up. <laughs> okay. 
PBS, he would sing like MJ, but then just talk to the audience in his regular Welsh accent. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> One of the bosses once picked me up in the minibus as an emergency replacement for a gig, and we had to get there really fast, so he was driving like a nutter, and he was also running with sweat, and his eyes were crazy. I said, are you okay? And he went, yeah, I'm on crystal meth. <laughs> <laughs> Reassuring. <laughs> Sorry. On the first day, they lined up all the tribute acts in front of a wall in a flat and took our pictures for the posters. Oh, my Christ. We all looked like we were in a Romanian prison in our publicity images. <laughs> Here is mine. This is literally what they sent to promoters. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> so it's a very slender, young, blonde woman with terrifying eyes with enormous red eye. Oh, enormous red eye. Who, she's basically just wearing like a red bra, a really nice red bra, and then I guess some makeshift chaps. So it's basically like tracky bottoms that have been like a hole cut in the crotch and back. and just. But they're like black in the front and then lime green. Lime green. It's um, to say like, if you were to show this to someone completely cold and say, which celebrity does this remind you of? Christina Aguilera is not, I mean, not celebrity. <laughs> My favourite thing is the plug socket in the wall behind oh her. <laughs> And that was sent to promoters. Wow. There's more. Oh, lover. The Ricky Martin tribute act was an ex-professional Latin dancer, and he's now one of the pros in the Latvian Strictly. Oh, good for him. <laughs> I shared a two-bed flat with the Justin Timberlake tribute. We were top pals, but he was always leaving his window open, and giant cockroaches would fly in. Oh then he'd bring back girls to the flat. Uh... He was scared of cockroaches, and I wasn't. So more than once, I'd have to go in his room and get a cockroach out while a screaming, half-naked woman stood in the bed, and he hovered near the door sheepishly, saying thanks. Oh, Jesus. Uh, there were stray cats everywhere, and they were pretty friendly, so of course I hung out with them. Of course. This one was my favourite. We all called him the Gary Barlow cat. Gary oh. oh my god, he does kind of—he does—he looks more like Gary Barlow than she looks like Christina. Aguilera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Freddie, <laughs> sorry, this just layers up like bits of like bizarre, but it layers up. The Freddie Mercury tribute had to go home after just four days because it turned out he couldn't sing. He'd auditioned for the job, got the job, was bought a costume, then sent home. Oh my god! So how did he get past the <laughs> stage? <laughs> oh. One night I showed up at the end of Abba's tribute show to have a drink with my friend who was Agnetha and she was just leaning on the wall next to the stage smoking a fag while Anna Fried was on stage singing The Winner Takes It All and nobody was actually in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> we lived above a restaurant called Shenanigans and our entrance was around the back up some steps and you'd often be greeted on the steps by rats the size of Jack Russell's. Mm. I had bleach blonde hair and bought some clipping red extensions for Christina gigs and I had to throw them away after a baby tarantula was on them. Oh, uh, nope. <laughs> iron Apple was where I learned I'm built from iron. We were advised not to drink the tap water, but I did and told everyone it was fine, just a bit chlorine flavoured. So everyone drank it and got terrible diarrhoea. Oh, no. Same thing happened when a bunch of us went to the KFC-style chain on the island, Sutherland Dixie Chicken, SDC, and everyone got food poisoning except me, and we renamed it Sudden Death Chicken. (laughs) (laughs) When I arrived at the airport, one of the bosses was holding a sign, but not with my name on it, just with a picture of Christina Aguilera torn from a magazine. Only it wasn't Christina Aguilera, it was Anastasia. (laughs) After collecting me 
they took me to an apartment and made me sing in the lounge to check I was up to the job. I sang Candyman and Beautiful with backing tracks. But literally, the first four hours of the job looked like something from a TV drama about sex trafficking. <laughs> the company was called That's Entertainment, with two S's in the That's. <laughs> I've had a handful of people of, of replies from people thinking I made all of this up. What a weird thing to make up. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are they now, Suze? The Shear is now a puppeteer in Legoland. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. One of my regular venues was called Hotel Brilliant. Uh, more than once, <laughs> the pool had to be evacuated because someone shat in it during the gig. <laughs> More than once. I just remembered that some of my Christina Aguilera backing tracks had backing vocals on them. I bought the cheapest tracks I could possibly find, and all the backing singers were from from Eastern Europe. Tarzan and Jane swinging from a vine sounded Soviet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that's it. That's the story of being a Christina Aguilera tribute act. Amazing. You say there's a video? Well, we just retweet it because, yeah. like, it always sounds shit when you play a video through like a phone or something and then cool. record it. So yeah, we'll retweet this video of uh, Sue <laughs> Which singing. I just listened to a bit of it and oh, <laughs> yeah, she's very helpfully put some tips underneath and how not how how to be a top Christina Aguilera tribute okay. act, including always start the song in the wrong key. Great. <laughs> Don't worry about dancing properly. Uh, be emaciated. <laughs> She's very slim. Yeah. Bless her. I don't, well, she's eating jars of Nutella. Yeah. Uh, she's just pointing out her amazing dance moves. It really is something special. Um, but, you know, it was an experience. An experience. And the, that's what makes us, really. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, I, I think in my gap between university and figuring out what to do with my life, I, I worked with a theatre and education company. Yeah. Their main shtick was anti-bullying. So they would every every year would write this show in time for anti bullying week. Yeah. In like November or something. It's November. Yeah. But we would stretch it out over a month, sometimes maybe two months. Okay. And just tour schools all over the country. Very noble. Yeah. <laughs> there was it was a very tiny operation. So the first year I did it, it was they sent two tours out simultaneously and I was like I was kind of the the stand in, so I would like jump between the two tours. Yeah. And and, you know, just be, like, available for whatever people needed. And then the next year, it was just me and the guy who ran the company. And we were, everything was run out of his living room in his house. Um, not even Western Supermare, like, a tiny village outside of Western Supermare. And he was just awful. I hated that man. He had the worst stale coffee breath in the world. And just a proper, like, textbook narcissist. And me, you know, I'm just, like, 21. I don't know the world or yeah. anything. And I, I, he made me feel um, basically the worst all the time. Great. Yeah, which is super fun. Top guy. Yeah. Um, but hey, I got to run around schools for two years and be like, hi kids, bullying's bad. <laughs> and do stupid raps and things. Oh, Becky. Oh, God. You've had a life. Yeah. <laughs> Much nicer now. Tell you about a sexy criminal. So I'll tell you about a genuinely very sexy criminal. So... Um, do you remember, like, there was a weird period a few months ago when there seemed to be, like, a lot of content, be it film or TV or whatever, about um, Ted Bundy yeah. um, coming out where people were like, oh, he's, he's actually very sexy. And he's not at all. Sexy man. He's very attractive. I mean, he can kill me. All that stuff. Um, but maybe not literally people saying that. But it just, like, when you strip the subtext away. Yeah. <laughs> very much like that. And there's a very good Tumblr post where somebody said... Instead of jacking it to Ted Bundy today, yeah. <laughs> please consider. Uh, right, I'm going to try and figure out how to say his surname. I should have figured this out beforehand. John 
Wojtowicz, I want to say. Wojtowicz, I don't know. Yeah, that, that feels right. Um, it's spelled W-O-J-T-O-W-I-C-Z. Okay. Wojtowicz. Um, so, mugshot of John Wojtowicz. I want to show you John's mugshot here from, okay. the, from the side and from the he front. He looks a bit like Howard from The Big Bang Theory. He does a little bit, but like, sexier. Uh, I, I dig his nose. He's got a strong nose. He's got a, he's good, got a very strong nose. Mm, got look. Oh, I'm trying to think who else he looks like. He looks like... Oh, who's the guy? Riz Ahmed. He looks a little bit like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Mugshot of John, who unsuccessfully tried to rob a bank in 1972 to pay for his wife Eden's gender reassignment surgery. So this is him after he failed to commit that crime. Okay. You know, he looks... How much more sexy does he look to you now? Not, yeah, without yeah. better information, yeah. So, um, and somebody's just helpfully added, we stand. <laughs> so Wojtowicz performed his role with a certain flair. He demanded food for the hostages and paid the pizza delivery guy with wads of cash. He threw money at the onlookers. <laughs> Anybody would love him. This is Robin Hood, says an onlooker who worked for the Daily News. Um, and then somebody has added, chaotic good. <laughs> yeah, very much. Um, there's a happy ending too. Because the robbery was unsuccessful, the couple ended up getting the money Eden needed from a movie inspired by their story. So also, John only had to serve part of his sentence. Um, so check out their wedding photos, by the way. They're beautiful. So here's John and his wife Eden looking real happy on oh. their wedding day. So um, we do. We do stand. We have to stand. And so after that first bit, and now with all the rest of the information, how much more sexy does he appear to you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got nice hair. Yeah. I dig him. I would, I would let him rob a bank for me, <laughs> for sure. And that's it, short but sweet, but a sexy, just, sexy criminal. I just wanted to share that with everyone. <laughs> I like criminals who do bad things, but like in a good way. Yes. Like things that are against the law, but perhaps not morally bad. It's like my favourite kind of subgenre of crime fiction is just like people doing bad things out of love. <laughs> yeah. I love that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, but he did it for his babies. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I let you off. It's like Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I've got a long one to finish off. Yes. A long one, mm-hmm. story-wise and penis-wise. Interesting. So we had two phallic stories in a row this uh, this episode and last episode. Yeah. What was I saw last episode? It's about the guy with the massive erection for like three yes. weeks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't get out of the house much, so this is... <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, Today I Fucked Up. Okay. I'm not going to tell you the title. Okay. So, okay. where do I begin? This happened last weekend. Let's lay out some plot points first. All right. I am 37 years old, mm-hmm. recently dating a girl for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. She's 26. Mm-hmm. I work as a film editor and often have a new assistant editor for different projects. I recently started on a project uh, and have a new assistant who's a 27-year-old woman. I've always worked out, done yoga, I'm fit and slim, and I have an above-average-sized dick. This combination has given me the unique talent being able to suck my own dick. Interesting. I've been doing this for many, many years. All of my partners have always found it amusing and arousing. (laughs) I know there are dangers, yada, 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 but trust me, I've done it a lot. I know what I'm doing. Okay. So, the girl I'm dating is very fond of this talent and told her group of friends about it, one of whom is getting married soon. She's doing her bachelorette party and instead of hiring like a beefcake stripper, her friends wanted to see me suck my own (gasps) cock. I was a little put off by the idea at first, doing this for a group of strangers. The idea was kind of hot and it's all in good fun, so fuck it. <sighs> I agreed to the plan. Mm-hmm. I was a little nervous about meeting them first, making too much eye contact, etc. <laughs> so, so we came up with the best plan to make it happen. 
The first, there are a few methods to sucking my own dick. The easiest and uh, deepest of which is to put my legs over my head. Okay. This way I would be looking up and wouldn't really have to look at any of the girls. Mm-hmm. But I, they could see the full view of my cock going into my mouth. So he'd be like doing a shoulder stand but curving all the way back so his feet end up on the floor? I guess. Okay. So the day comes. Yeah. I have a couple of tequila shots to loosen up. <laughs> I think he's drawn a diagram somewhere, so <laughs> maybe we'll hook up that second. Here we go. Okay. I have the diagram. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he kind of uh, puts his shoulders... Yes, okay. ...ass in the air. Got it. And so his dick is, like, hanging down into his mouth. Yeah. Got uh, it. And the girls are standing, like, behind his head. Got it. Yeah, so he's kind of shoulder-standing it. He's thrown his knees back over his shoulders. Yeah, his knees are, like, resting on his shoulders. Yeah. And his dick and is his in his dick mouth. is just falling neatly into his mouth. And their view... <laughs> like a chicken it's like a chicken <laughs> wow okay cool so this <laughs> he thought of, I, I love the effort he put in here it's a really helpful diagram <laughs> so um the day comes and i have a couple of shots of tequila to loosen up okay by the time i arrive the girls are already pretty tipsy and rowdy chanting things like suck your dick from the other room inventive i like it <laughs> never say that hens on a hen party uh, aren't creative. <laughs> I prepare myself with a girl I'm dating and she invites her friends in oh, to the room. Okay. They're hooting and hollering and I'm lying on the ground with a very erect cock. Okay. The whole thing is like pretty hot. Yeah. Even though my heart is racing like mad, I'm really into this idea now. Uh-huh. I throw my legs up as I've done, over my head, as I've done many a time and start to play along with the show. Uh-huh. I circle my tongue around the tip and tease myself. Uh-huh. I put myself further and the head goes in my mouth and I hear gasps and woos and girl noises coming from behind me. <laughs> I'm trying to look back to see them, but I'm a bit focused on the cock in my mouth uh-huh. and really can't see past my head. I start getting more into it and the girl I'm dating comes and help over and helps me push it deeper into my mouth by pushing my ass and legs down, okay. as we've done before in our own private world. Sure. At this point, I'm really into and sucking my own cock like a champ, and the girls are really enjoying it. After some minutes go by, I'm not sure how long, they start chanting, Come in your mouth! Come in your mouth! Now, to be clear, I don't normally do this. Like, I have, but it's not my thing. Sure. But I'm the entertainment, and I aim to please, so in my mind I'm thinking, let's do this. Okay. I start sucking harder, tongue playing with the tip. The girl I'm dating is still pushing me a bit, her hand on my ass. The whole thing is so hot, and I feel like I'm about to come, and I just explode. It was a lot. I'm shaking and convulsing and sucking my tip, and they are clapping and cheering. The girl I'm dating lets go of my legs, and I fall down sweating with a mouthful of cum. Her friends start to yell, Kiss him! Come swap! Uh, I'm not actually sure what they were yelling, but it was along those lines, so I stand up in a daze and kiss her. She takes the cum from my mouth, and I finally look at the girls all in a joy, except one unbelievably shocked and mortified face. My assistant. (gasps) No! (laughs) Oh my god! She leaves the room and I race to the bathroom. The girl I'm dating comes in to ask me what's wrong and I tell her. She loses it laughing. (laughs) So and so is your assistant? I'm not laughing. Assistant isn't laughing and actually leaves the party. Wow. It's a bit of a scene. The girl I'm dating tells her friends. There's laughter discussion. They're calling assistant. She is not answering. Oh, my God. The girl I'm dating assures me that they're all like this. This isn't a big deal. Yeah. Uh, I've been working from home all week. I've talked to my assistant by a slack and we've said nothing. She's in the office. I can't work from home tomorrow. I have to go in. I don't know what the fuck to do. The girl I'm dating said the assistant is mortified and doesn't know what to do either. Wow. The more and more you were telling that story, the more I was like, what, does he, like, choke on his own cum or something? Or 
does he like get a weird spasm or something does he kick the fucking bride in the face yeah. I don't know I, don't, I did not see that coming oh my god <laughs> they certainly saw it coming uh, <laughs> what are the comments like um, just be nice to her and don't start the apology with well that sucked but <laughs> as you can see I need an assistant this is why I need an assistant I'm constantly having to do things myself <laughs> that's very good <laughs> the title of this is today I fucked up deep throating myself in front of my new assistant and one of the comments is this was a lot to take in I was certainly the title was deliberately misleading it was not it was not not in the slightest and the reply can confirm it is a lot to take in hey. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, wow. there is an update if you want to know oh, what yes, happened please. So he got some good advice in the, in the original post, among mm. all the, what the fuck did I just read? Uh, I came into the office today with a pretty clear of idea of what I was going to say. I felt okay with myself, but holy shit, the closer I got, the more petrified I became. Yeah. Um, da, 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 da. She like freaking in. I got back to the edit bay and peeked in and she was already there, turned in and saw me creeping in. Just a fucking horrible way to start all of this. Uh-huh. I proceeded to butcher my eloquently pre-planned speech. I wish I could tell you what I said, but I don't remember. I know I apologised and said something along the lines of each of us probably don't want to have to look at each other ever again. But I did say if she felt uncomfortable being here, I'd be happy to help her find another job. Yeah. She asked if I wanted her to leave, and I said no, of course not. Mm-hmm. Um, she was kind of looking down the whole time, and after I finished my word vomit, she kind of shook her head and said, what are the fucking odds? <laughs> we, both, <laughs> we both started laughing, and I came a bit more back to reality and asked if she was comfortable working together, and she said she was. Okay. We agreed it might take a while to actually like look at each other, but <laughs> thankfully our desks are back-to-back. Oh, good. And then there were some questions. Um, <laughs> like, just like, where, where did I learn I could do this? Have I ever done it for a crab before? Does it feel like sucking dick or getting your dick sucked? And, huh. yeah. That's a good point. Uh, apparently, it's um, in the same way that, like, have getting a hand job doesn't feel like masturbating. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I really think that's quite a philosophical way of looking at it. Um, is it weird that the person who's, like, because I'm so conditioned by romantic comedies that I kind of hope they end up together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think they do. He's no. deleted his account now. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, what a finisher. My God. Again, literally. <laughs> well, Amy, what stories have you been absorbing? Since yesterday. Yeah. Uh, the Year of the Rabbit, yeah. obviously, which I, we mentioned briefly. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's very filthy. It's really filthy. So uh, funny. Filthy in terms of sex, but also, like, it's very violent and yes. blunt about... It's like a police procedural set in the Victorian era, yeah. but styled like a 70s cop drama. Yeah. Uh, it's got Matt Berry, yeah. the guy who's been in... He's in the TV series of yeah. What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. He's the guy with that voice, and you'll recognise him instantly. Yeah. Yeah. He was in um, the IT crowd. He was the boss in the IT crowd, and I hated him in the IT yeah. crowd, and I think he's absolutely brilliant in... He was a similar character in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. He's just like the big guy with the big voice that you'll recognise straight yeah. away, kind of person. Um, but he's very good in this. Very, very good very in it. Good. Very fun. There are so many jokes. They yeah. kind of hit you. Like, you don't have time to recover before <laughs> another one comes in. I know. You. The number of times you and me were just sort of looking at each other, just like absolutely creased up yeah. with laughter at another stupid joke. Really it's cleverly done. also got Susan Wakoma in it. Yes. Um, as a woman who's trying to become like Britain's first female officer. Um, and dealing with all the shit that that entails. It's yeah, quite cool. Uh, Freddie Fox, who plays... Um, he's kind of like the Oxbridge graduate, who's yeah. very, very green and 
right behind the ears. Enthusiastic, but has absolutely no idea what he's doing. But in the third episode, he <laughs> goes undercover as a Cockney wide boy, and fuck me, it's so oh, funny. Fuck the lap, the training. Because <laughs> there's like, <laughs> a recurring character, the Elephant Man, John Merrick, yeah. who's like kind of a theatre lovey, and he yeah. like trains him how to be a Cockney wide yeah. boy. <laughs> So like getting trying to get him to do the walk, they're like slapping a stick between his <laughs> knees to get him to get him to do the bow legged run. And stuff. My favorite bit is at the end where the elephant man's like, "I think you'll you'll do, you know, I think you're gonna get away with this." And uh, the the cop goes, "Oh, that's e- excellent." And the elephant man's like, "Excuse me," and goes, "Fucking cushy, mate." <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. That's the one of the moments where you and I just lost it. No, it's really well done, but sort of quite silly as well. Oh, so stupid. Elements of, like, the day-to-day or anything that Chris Morris has ever done as well. So things like the Brick Man, the yeah. villain who is made of bricks and he comes out of his... comes out of Brickland yeah. with a brick knife to stab you up. <laughs> it's just ludicrous. And it's all a big plot to get people to... Well, no, they suspect that it's a big plot to get people to... Destroy knock, bricks. Knock down all the brick walls so that... The they can rebuild the, factory the bricks. Loads of money. So silly. And then it turned out to be something that we thought felt a bit extinct rebellion <laughs> It is. Very extinct rebellion uh, This is the birth of it. Uh, and it's just great lines in it. Like, um, yeah. in the first episode, the barmaid is saying to uh, Matt Berry's... Uh, yeah, she's great. Saying to Matt Berry's character, um, you've had too much whiskey. Rabbit, you want to watch it? Switch to rum instead. Give yourself a break. Yeah. And then there's another bit where it's... Someone tries to kill themselves, shoot themselves with a gun. And um, then Rabbit's like, oh, out of bullets, that's embarrassing. And Rabbit's just like, here you go, try mine. <laughs> Thank you. Shoots himself in the head. And then Rabbit's like, oh, shit. So well done. It's just very funny uh, and stupid and clever at the same time. Yeah, thank you for introducing me to No that. problem. That's great. Oh, whoops. Uh, what have I been absorbing? So, um, you were a Bethany Rutter? Yeah. A writer, uh, author. Um, she's also a clothes designer. Yeah. Um, she uh, is a fat woman on the internet, so deals with all the stuff that comes with that. But um, she doesn't really care, <laughs> which is great. So she works for Navabi Fashions, I think, mm-hmm. is company. Yeah, and so she has her range in that. And she's written kind of a young adult novel called No Big Deal. And the person at the centre, I'm kind of halfway through it at the moment, and it's the kind of book I wish I had that had been around when I was like 15. Um, so it's about a teenage girl called Emily. She is fat. She's the fat one of her friends. Um, she did have one other fat friend who went away to Sweden for over the summer holidays and then came back and has lost quite a lot of weight. And she's also got a mum who's like always on a fad diet and really, really, you know, constantly, like, constantly nudging Emily to go on diets as well. But the thing with Emily, she's not like, she doesn't really feel that she needs to lose any weight. She's wicked smart. She's got a ma- like, really fashionable, great taste in music. And then she meets a boy that she really fancies and stuff. And But it's just all about how she's in her final year of school and all of these elements in life sort of come to a head. So, like, she's now the only fat person in her year. She's now, you know, interested in a boy. But suddenly, because she had a bad experience with a boy at a party who started to kiss him and then he touched her waist and then he pulls his hand away and is like, oh, I can't do this. She thinks it's because of her body. And also her mum is, like, she's got, like, kicked things up a notch in terms of trying to get Emily to lose weight and stuff. So it's all these things sort of come into her head, perfect storm of, ugh, and is me being fat a bad thing kind of thing. So and it's it's but it's actually a very like really positive story and I think just the kind of thing that I wish had been around for teenage girls like <laughs> a long time ago. Just cool. But it's well worth it. And each chapter starts with a song. 
Um, cool. So, so uh, and it turns out there is a playlist on Spotify where you can find them all, which is really good. And it's a cracking playlist. It includes things like Blondie and Pulp and um, things I had never heard of, which I love now. Um, but yeah, it's good. We're about halfway through. I have a feeling I know how it's going to end because <laughs> it's it's a it's a YA novel, but um, no, it's well worth the read. Once you finished it, you absolutely need to watch my Mad Fat Diary. Yeah, I, I do. Be on all four. It's so so good. I really, really and it's do. got Villanelle in an early role. <gasps> Bloody love as Chloe, uh, the best, the skinny best friend. Yes, please do watch it. It's fantastic. I will. I will. I will. Um, but yes, that's what I'm absorbing. And uh, and that, so when I was ill the other week, I started doing like chapter to uh, read a chapter of one and then read a chapter of the other yeah. of big uh, no big deal and um uh sorry i'm late i didn't want to come by mm. jessica pan um which i've read in a door yes so i'm up to i think like the third or fourth fourth chapter of that but um no big deal i'm just gonna you know to do that and then dedicate more time to yeah i think um sorry i don't want to come it's really funny and yeah. um personable and easy read but mm. she also manages to slip in like quite a lot of yeah deep thought into yes this, so definitely so it's not you can't just like pick it up and put it down it's no. good to like, dedicate a bit of time to it but um yeah so i'm looking forward to finishing both of those which would be fabulous and also my now playboy book of pages <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's the stories of an absorbing and that was the podcast that was and then what the podcast all about stories. Uh, where can you find us online, Becky? Well, if you go to any of the social media channels that we care about, you can find us by searching at and then what pod. But Amy, what if they wanted to email us? Oh, well, <laughs> thankfully we have an email address at and then what pod at gmail.com. Oh, how convenient. So convenient. And also, people can listen to us on Spotify now. Can they? they yes, because you spent a lot of time oh, finding Spotify. So much time. I was quite ill and I was just aware. I get all the and then what emails forwarded to my inbox. <laughs> so I just kept seeing like help emails from Spotify coming in I was like I don't know what Becky's doing I'm too ill to care but constant back and forth between me and some very helpful well moderately helpful person on Spotify but yeah if you do it I think the best way to find us on Spotify is if you type and then what in one word rather than individual words we come up but if you type us in individually you'll probably find us guesting on um, Nothing Rhymes With Murder oh really (laughs) yeah Oh, that's fair enough. Uh, close enough. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, you can listen to us on there now, so that's much, much easier, I find, anyway. But if you listen to us on a platform, I don't know if Spotify allows you to rate and review, but... I don't know if it does. Uh, iTunes certainly does, and I think Stitcher and stuff like that does, so please do leave us a review, because, you know, uh, it strokes our egos. <laughs> and we need that right now. <laughs> yeah. We'll be going, aww, it's been really nice coming and spending the weekend with you. Yeah, you're going to go home now. I know. Soonish. <laughs> no rush. But before you have to write me spend credits to read out. I do, I do, I do, I do. Okay, alright then, I'll do that now. Boo, boo, boo. That was And Then What, presented by Amy Jones and Becky Brynolf. Theme music by Gary Jones, logo by Penny Whitehouse. This episode was brought to you by Christina Aguilera's discography. This episode was brought to you by Christina Aguilera's discography. Discography. Discog... Uh, trying to think another Discography. Discography. Trying to think another way to say it. Is that the word, discography? Back catalogue? This episode, this episode is brought to you by Christine Aguilera's back catalogue. <laughs> no, that sounds like a ross. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Christina Aguilera's discography. Not only do we learn that data is beautiful, no matter what they say, we also met a woman who spent much of her time in Ayanapa asking, when will my reflection show who I am meant to be portraying, because it's certainly not Christine Aguilera. Shout out to John Wojtowicz, we think, for giving his wife what a girl wants. And finally, we heard a particularly dirty story that keeps getting better. Ain't no other man can do what he did. Bye! Bye. (laughs) Excellent, Christina Aguilera.